0: From the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago, I'm Gwen Maxey, and this is ReSound.
1: ReSound was such a special job as a producer.
0: ReSound is a remix of music, documentaries, found sound, sound bites, and audio archives we find all over the world. We listen to everything we can get our ears on, then bring you the best of what we hear each week.
2: needed this period of study inside of Third Coast for the development of me Naughty producer.
0: This is a really special show for us. It's our 250th episode. And today we're going back to check in with all the producers who've made ReSound since it started in 2004. And we're going to listen to some of our favorite moments from the past 14 years, both on the air and behind the scenes.
3: Okay, are you ready? I'm as ready as I'll ever be. We're going to go back to the very beginning.
0: Aye. Who do you think that could be? Let's hear it again. Oh my God. Here's a hint they're alive, they're universally despised, and they have something to do with the House of Representatives of the United States of America.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Your voice sounds so different, but I I think it's just a different microphone.
0: Oh, that's so generous of you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you might have guessed by now. Here to host with me today is our current producer, Dennis Funk. Dennis, welcome, of course. Thank you. And um, maybe you can tell the audience exactly what the difference is between you and I, you being the producer. I mean, I write a script, and then what happens?
3: So for eSound, the producers, we make the opens of the show which are kind of like a big hurrah, getting into the, the theme of what <laughs> of what the hour is. Also we you know string the pieces in the show together and then make the interstitially bits. Uh that's what we call them interstitials, the kind of little fun moments that happen in between the stories.
0: And they're super like beautifully produced and lots of work goes into them.
3: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that nobody notices. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> So before it was me in this room, there were, you know, plenty of other talented producers making this show.
0: Yeah. Back in 2004, Third Coast was only a few years old and Resound was just a twinkle in the eye of Johanna Zorn and Julie Shapiro, who founded Third Coast. Now, at the time, the organization was really an annual conference for radio producers and an awards competition for audio stories from around the world. But then the staff of two grew to three when Third Coast hired Katie Dunn as a production assistant. Katie had recently done an internship with This American Life and would eventually be the first producer of Resound. It has been a long time since Katie
3: was here, but we called her up. Yeah, we called her up and asked her a few questions about how Resound started. Here's Katie.
4: Well, I uh, am really happy that the show is still going. To be honest, if you'd asked me when we first started how if it would be going, you know, this many years from then, I, I wouldn't have known for sure. I would have maybe given it a 50-50. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm happy that it's it's still happening.
0: Right. And then the idea of doing a show came about because for the festival, we had this competition and the competition yielded all these entries And we had this, like, collection of all these great pieces kind of sitting in a drawer. And we thought, why shouldn't we play these? Like, people should hear them. They're so great. They've played, like, once somewhere else. And uh, the work was so good, that's when we thought about putting together a show.
4: Yeah, and I think, you know, when I was remembering, when I was thinking back on this, I was remembering that this was really, I mean, there were no podcasts then it was like the only radio you could hear you literally listened to on the radio or you could listen to it online but there wasn't a culture of audio the way that there is now and so for us to be sitting on this you know giant collection of beautiful documentary and just audio seemed sad we felt like the world needed to hear it so that was the intention with the with the show our mission was just play unusual sound and stories
3: I just want to know if there are any pieces that stand out to you from that time Mm. that you played.
4: Right. So I I don't know that I can remember specific pieces, but one thing I do remember um, really coming to appreciate and learning about is Australia Broadcasting Corporation, because I had just never heard it before. And it was kind of amazing that there was a whole parallel public radio universe and that it sounded really different. ABC being just an entirely different way of doing public radio that I had never, you know, couldn't have conceived of before I learned about it there.
0: All right, so let's go back and listen to one of those early Australian Broadcasting Corporation pieces that Katie mentioned. Here's a sample from the inimitable Natalie Kestacher from ReSound Number 3, and it's called Karaoke Counselor.
5: Leon, I okay, have You Ready? What are you doing? Leon,
3: Leon. Uh, but when you sing, you make sure that you sing from your heart, not from your voice.
5: Leon, there's too okay, much extra. Okay, look, I really want to put this one down. We've Wasted enough time
6: today. We've got an album to plan together. Okay, Leon. For this couple, I think. One of the stumbling blocks may be that the possibility of intimacy has been scary. And so when things get too close, I think for both of them, their tendency is to withdraw, to back off and to isolate.
7: It
5: all started one night at the movies. American beauty, to be precise. A film about a couple, rigid with the flatness of a marriage that had seen better days. I was there with my husband of only nine months. Only nine months, yet it could have been us up on that screen. Leon fantasizing about other women. Me having it off with real estate agents. I stole a sidelong glance at him wondering if he too was finding similarities between the couple before us and ourselves. But no. His head was tilted back slightly and his mouth was agape. He dozed, oblivious.
6: I did some work with a colleague in looking at bringing together music and therapeutic modality. So we did a number of different Programs trying to look at music therapy and trying to reach people through a different medium, that is through music, rather than necessarily through the traditional psychotherapy modality of words.
5: As we sat in that cinema, I wondered if he knew that I had deceived him from the start. I had used him. I was a songwriter, a songwriter with no money, and he was a hobbyist a hobbyist with an inheritance.
6: For some people, I think music has the capacity to resonate and touch something that is beyond words and that certainly has a therapeutic potential.
5: It's never difficult to get a hobbyist into a new hobby. And before long, Leon was setting up his very own recording studio and I was recording my very own songs. Leon, what are you doing? But those heady days were numbered. Are, you are we rolling, rolling Leon? Leon? Um, and it wasn't long Leon, before Leon became resentful. You ready? What are you doing?
3: I sing from your heart, not from your voice.
5: He started to complain that by setting me up to pursue my passions, he was unable to afford any of his own. He had become a hobbyist with no hobbies, and I was bearing the brunt of his frustration. Leon, you're putting me off. Can you stop chewing? Is the reverb on? More reverb I'm a beautiful singer. Listen
0: to me. Well, that is Natalie Kestiger for you. Complete goofball, super fun, always original. We've played a lot of her work. Yeah, we have. And um, it's it's always fun to listen to her. Always,
3: yeah. So Kadia, who helped launch and dream up Resound, had the shortest stay of all the producers on the show. Uh, she made the first fourteen episodes and then got a job at NPR in Washington DC, where she did stories for just about every NPR show that you can name.
0: Yeah. All Things Considered, Morning Edition, Planet Money, you know, that kind of thing.
3: And after Katie left, Roman Mars, who listeners probably know from his podcast about all things design, 99% Invisible, started producing retail.
0: Yeah. And this was, by the way, just want to let you know that this was after he had been studying plant genetics, of course because, you know, people in public radio are always doing things like plant genetics. <laughs> but between plant genetics and us came a lot of other things. So we called Roman and talked about how he came to work at Third Coast. Um, so first thing, I want to uh, just get an idea of how you came to Resound, because I don't know exactly.
2: Yeah, so... I was working on my own show in San Francisco called Invisible Inc. I guess Third Coast featured my show on the on the website when, when you guys were ramping up on ReSound. You guys were looking for a producer, and I was looking to finally have a job in radio after three years of basically volunteering. <laughs> and uh, and then I came out to, to be easy.
0: And the, what was the piece?
2: I think it was Confessions of a Child Beauty Queen.
0: Yes it was, yes it was,
8: absolutely.
0: (laughs) Before we talk more with Roman, we want to share an excerpt from that story we just mentioned, Confessions of a Child Beauty Queen. It was a series of interconnected stories by writer A.H. Weatherman about the trauma of growing up in the South and participating in beauty pageants.
3: Yeah, and Roman said he found these stories printed in a zine that he found at a shop in San Francisco. And after reading them, he said he had to turn it into a radio piece. Here's one of those stories. It's called My
0: Pageant Friends.
9: My pageant friends. Many of these girls rode the pageant circuit like I did, so I would see them often. A lot of us also competed in other events like baton twirling, commercial auditions, and gymnastics. Ellie was my best pageant friend, or so our mothers told us. She had blonde ringlets, a powdery China doll face, and a pug nose at least during beauty pageants and other competitions, which is the only time I really ever saw her. Her mother bragged that Ellie had tried out for a Hardee's commercial and they loved her, but she was too perfect and they couldn't use her to sell hamburgers and roast beef. My mother uncharacteristically and graciously went along with this lie, so I did too, taking my social cues from her. I have a picture of Ellie from backstage at one of our pageants spooky and surreal helmet she looks like a three-foot porcelain doll I was always a little more flesh my mother being a summer person and preferring the bathing beauty look for me I saw Ellie when I was 13 and out of the pageant world we were at a Quincy Steakhouse all-you-can-eat buffet I was in my goth stage and she was apparently in a skin-tight acid-washed jeans phase which was not unusual for Charlotte in 1985 She was still in the life, competing mostly in baton twirling contests for teenagers. Turns out Ellie never got fat. In fact, she's quite trim, with suspiciously curvy proportions for a skinny person. I know because I saw a picture of her in a calendar my mother gave me for Christmas two years ago. It was a calendar of cheerleaders for the Carolina Panthers, Charlotte's NFL team. Ellie is also a honeybee for the Charlotte Hornets, the basketball team. I was surprised to learn she's still living the dream and not jaded like me. I'm sure her mother is quite pleased. I had a friend who lived in the nearby town of Shelby. Her name was Haley Beam. Haley was really country, her mom even less sophisticated than mine. When I first saw Haley, I thought she was the prettiest little thing I'd ever seen. My mother thought differently and told me quickly she'd be no competition for me. To my surprise, I placed ahead of her in every pageant we did together. I never got as close to her as I wanted to. It wasn't that she was standoffish, maybe just shy and not yet at ease in her chiffon and tiara. I imagine Haley is still living in Shelby right now, fat and washing clothes for five or six kids and some lame-ass redneck. My friend Christy also did cheerleading and jazz dancing with me. She wasn't in any commercials. She had exotic long black hair and short bangs. Her mom was an anorexic. All of the other moms talked about her in front of us girls when she and Christy weren't around. They used feigned concern as justification for condescension and gossiping in the way that grown women often do. Not that it wasn't obvious. Christie's mom looked like she weighed less than her eight-year-old daughter. She couldn't grow her hair long like Christie's, and all the color had faded from the hair she did have. Her eyes were sunken in, and she looked like she was always mimicking a fish. Her arms just sort of hung there, and she slouched. It was gross. The bathroom at Dance Unlimited was right next to the dance floor. We could hear her puking every time she brought Christy to class. All the kids knew something was wrong with her, but we never would have known the word for it had the mothers not told us. I had just thought it was cancer. I'm grateful for having this living, breathing poster child for anorexia so early on in life. It's part of why I'm such a big fat person today. One other pageant friend was Penny. Penny lived in an apartment complex. She had visible bruises. There was a lot of crying and missed competitions. My mother would talk to her mother in hushed tones. Penny had a younger sister who was almost never around. Once my mother sent me over to their apartment to play. It was terrible. They all acted nervous. The father came downstairs and barked at us, and Penny's mother drove me home early. Penny is one of the girls who is probably dead by now. It makes me really sad to think about her. The Mother's Pageant Almost every pageant included activities for the mothers as part of the overall cost. These activities were usually a welcome breakfast, an evening cocktail hour, and what was known as the Mother's Pageant. It was a tradition, although I don't know how it started. The mother's pageant was usually the first night we were all there. The moms would all get dressed up as ugly as they could, like it was Halloween. They would color their hair green, black out a tooth with grease pencil, put their hair in curlers, and dress in their homeliest house coat or pajamas. Sometimes they went too far. One year, one lady put Vaseline in her hair to make it look greasy. She didn't know you couldn't wash Vaseline out that easy. It was a big crisis. All the moms wanted to show how ugly they could be, but only on Ugly Mother's Night.
0: That was an excerpt from Confessions of a Child Beauty Queen, produced by Roman Mars. He made it in 2003 for his show, Invisible Ink. You can hear the entire story on ReSound episode six, The Confessions Show. We're celebrating all things ReSound this hour. Why? Because it is our 250th show. I'm in the studio with our current producer, Dennis Funk. Hello again. Hello again. And we're talking to former producers of the show and sharing some of their favorite moments from past episodes.
3: Yeah. And right now, we're talking to Roman Mars, ReSound's second producer, who made episodes 15 through 19. <laughs> <laughs> I love those numbers. I <laughs> know. And I want to go back to our call with Roman now, because he's really the one who formed ReSound's sound, mm-hmm. so to speak. And he had some interesting things to say about how the show's concept changed during his time here.
0: When you, when you first got here, I think we were still doing, like, I don't know if we were still doing mystery sounds and stuff, but it was really mm-hmm. a, a different sounding show from the time you got here and the time you left
2: yeah well in the beginning it was more showcasey it was like here's a here's a documentary and here's a mystery sound and here's a long piece of music you know there was a definite um, dedication to the concept of here's a bunch of things that sound really good but there was a desire to keep developing it you know with a new producer and it was. I, I had this idea that I, what I wanted to develop ReSound into was a show about sound in general and sound's use in art, and also showcase pieces. And so one of the things I did was I created an episode of my show, uh, 90, uh, not 99% Invisible, invisible uh, Ink. A um, couple
0: shows before that.
2: Exactly. I, I created an episode of my show about the use of phone tape in stories in an episode. And I, I remember creating that and submitting it as my concept of how I wanted ReSound to develop.
0: Let's hear just a medley of moments from the show that Roman's talking about. That's ReSound number 20, The Phone Show.
2: Okay, let me mark this. ReSound, Phone Show, take one.
0: Wait, first we have to know, are we rolling?
2: Yeah, when I do that, that means we're rolling.
0: (laughs) Okay, um, what is it again? Let me think. Uh... (laughs) From the Third Coast International Audio Festival and Chicago Public Radio, this is ReSound. Well done. All
2: right. One down. You have one message.
0: Message one. Is it night or morning? Please answer me. Is it night or morning? Can't
8: you answer me? Oh, I put a pound in the bloody
10: dust bin now. <laughs> girl, I know you messing with my
4: man. You better pick up this damn phone because I'm telling you. I know you with my man. Who is? This Alicia? You don't know who you messing with. I'm from New York, girl. Uncle, what? End of
10: messages. To delete all messages, press delete. I first met Alexander Bell in 1874. He came to the shop where I was working to have
6: his
2: harmonic telegram
11: constructed. Hello? Hi, is Steve Maglin there, please? This is he. Hi, Steve, this is an old acquaintance of yours. Okay. This is Julie Shapiro? Yeah, hi. How you doing?
10: I'm doing fine. I I remember... uh, You were from... um, You lived in... um, from high school right? Sort of. Julie Shapiro. Um, you were younger than I was and um, are you the one that used to like football? Yes. I kind of remember and I came over to your house one time. Exactly. I know I think I wore my jersey over there as I recall. Good morning,
6: Doropterites. Particularly if we get a wrong number. Skin prep lab. The people are totally thrown off. Meteorites.
12: Tumor registry.
6: We maintain a
10: spore bank. Uh,
12: That's why we're located here in the Smithsonian. Mm hmm. So, what are you working on today? A tectite exhibit
10: worms what worms
0: what the georgia tectite festival they're expecting the portrait gallery or something and they get
6: tectite taxes
9: tumors tanning ferns worms reptiles fish
12: amphibians and invertebrates what is the most interesting tumor yeah they're all interesting tumors
7: well
0: Are there things that stand out in your memory of your time as producer of Resound that serve some kind of superlative? Uh, whether it was a show, a piece, a difficulty.
2: If I, I can't, it's hard for me to pick out one. I mean, there was one intro that we did uh, called Transmission.
0: I thought, yeah, I thought you were gonna say that one.
2: Yeah, that I just, I loved. I just loved the way it worked and. You know, it just sounded like a beginning in a way that was that was fantastic, and so, and so, there was, some of it was real, you know, real tape. Some of it was me, um, uh, you know, doing some sort of high pass filter to, to do something to my voice to sound like an old radio announcer.
7: Radio, radio
8: The handle or name you adopt should be one of a kind, based on something special in your life.
7: This is Porky Cheddar on March 4, 1973.
10: ...white All you nice people living in the middle of America, the beautiful.
12: Everything is
9: beautiful.
10: We're talking about radio. Radio meaning you do not see the picture. You hear the voice. Here's hear something called the vox humana. You hear the human voice. But the point is radio involved the audience far more than television ever did.
7: This is WJAK. Monday, March twelfth, nineteen hundred and seventy-three. Thank you, and here's some more hit music. It's eight twenty now, people. This is Big Jagger. Eight, two,
10: one. On our way to Canaan land. Here we go.
0: When you think about how much airspace there is in the world, and then you think about the people radio stations and truckers and spies and ham radio operators who are using that airspace to transmit sound, it makes you feel like while lying in bed at night as the streams of words go by above your head, you could just pluck one out and listen in. I'm Gwen Maxi and today on ReSound, we bring you transmissions. Transmissions you want to hear, transmissions you're not supposed to hear, and transmissions no one has been able to figure out for decades. Stay with us. That was the beginning of Resound number 31, the transmission show. It was produced by Roman Mars, who's been talking with us about his time working on Resound. We're celebrating today because it is the show's 250th
3: episode. Okay, so I want to play something for you. Yeah. Again. Like oh, okay. A, okay. Uh, <laughs> let's listen to this. Okay. <laughs>
1: From the Third Coast International Audio Festival and Chicago Public Radio, I'm Delaney Hall, filling in for Gwen Maxi, and this is Resound.
0: Oh, but yeah, this is when Delaney was the host because I was in New Zealand for six months.
3: Yeah, so Delaney Hall was the third producer of ReSound.
0: Right. Delaney came to the show after interning with Third Coast, and like all good, smart interns, she stuck her claws in until the job was hers. But of course, we were the lucky ones that it worked out that way. We talked to Delaney about her time at ReSound and some of the stories that she remembers that she got to put on the air. Hi. Dee! How you doing? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you?
1: Oh, I'm good.
0: What were some of the things that you were happy to get on the air or that you thought were the most interesting?
1: Um, We'd come across this amazing piece called African Feedback by Alessandro Bassetti, who is an Italian sound artist and composer so the the backstory for African feedback is that um, Alessandro had traveled to West Africa um, with a CD player and these selections of experimental music, and he played the music um, through headphones for these for residents of different villages in West Africa, and then he recorded their responses as they listened to the music um, and people responded in all different kinds of ways. I think they imitated the sounds of the music or they just reacted spontaneously. And then he used those recordings of their reactions to create a composition. Um, and so it's a very, it's a completely non narrative and very experimental piece of sound art. And it's also 45 minutes long. <laughs> and We ended up featuring, I think, the entire piece on an episode of Resound. And I remember that, um, I don't know, I think it was one of the most abstract sound-arty pieces that we ever put on the show.
0: Let's hear some of that piece from Resound 50, The Feedback
7: Show. Uh It it no, I said
4: so good,
7: but I got the other. Arekare mi mi na mi da Oh the Oh no the do I mi na mi la we do the
2: gag, gag, gag,
7: gag. Amakano
2: wat.
7: Then when we play the gag,
2: oh
7: Jabo, Jabo, Gagger. Jabo, Jabo, Gagger. Me, 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 Gagger. Me, 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 Gagger. Me, me, I'm
8: going a new
7: mimi I'm not a killer. I the other. My I added the other. Who would
1: and that, was, that went on for, you know, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes. Um, it seemed bold that we put that on the air. And I actually remember getting confused, angry emails about it. And maybe some appreciative emails too, but I think it was challenging listening. Um, just given, you know, your typical public radio fare, because I just imagine the experience of a listener.
0: Yeah, I think we probably came on after This American Life at that time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> also, yes, I think at the time we were experimenting, for sure.
1: There's another piece I remember putting on the air that's sort of in the same vein, which was this composition by Laura Vitali and Rick Moody that was created with four teapots and it was just four teapots whistling on the stove and they pick you know they sort of created this composition with them by picking up teapots so they got quiet and then putting them back down so that they would whistle again <laughs> and they were not beautiful sounding teapots they were those teapots with shrill whistles
0: That was Four Teapots by Laura Vitali and Rick Moody, produced in 2009 for ReSound number 104, the Music of Everyday Things show.
1: Um, so I think back to that and I'm, I'm surprised we decided to feature it, but I also am proud we did because ReSound is an outlet for that kind of work. that just really would not find an audience any other place on the radio dial.
0: That was Delaney Hall, producer of ReSound's number 91 through 132.
3: So after episode 132, uh, Delaney left ReSound to go to grad school in 2010. She produced some really great work, some of it, which is featured on later episodes of ReSound, and Katie Mingle became the producer of ReSound.
0: We're going to hear from Katie in a minute, but first we're going to play one of the things that she produced while she was here, and she remembers as one of her favorites. It's the beginning of ReSound number 158, The Night Show.
10: In the great green room, there was a telephone and a red balloon, and a picture of a cow jumping over the moon.
0: From the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago, I'm Gwen Maxi, and this is ReSound.
10: And there were three little bears sitting on chairs, and two little kittens, and pair of mittens, and a little toy house, and a young mouse.
0: ReSound is a remix of music, documentaries, found sound, sound bites, and little audio stars we find all over the world. On the air, the internet, we listen to everything we can get our ears on and bring you the best of what we hear each week on ReSound.
10: And a comb, and a brush, and a quiet old lady who was whispering, Hush! Good night, room. Good night, moon. Good night, cow jumping over the moon.
0: As the sun goes down, the fingers of darkness begin their creeping, over your shoulders, around your legs, through your hair. And as the ink of the night settles in, most people do too, tucked into our homes, curled under our covers, welcoming the letdown, the slowdown of rest. But the night, slow though it seems, isn't always quiet. Or restful. Night has a life of its own, a living, breathing energy that pulses when our heads are turned and our eyes are closed. Today on Resound, listening to the night. Stay tuned.
13: I worked so hard on those those intros at the beginning, and it was always a little unclear to me, like how much people noticed them or like <laughs> cared about them. Um, and, but we just like put everything we had into like making sure like the beats of the music sort of lined up in the right way with your voice, and just having all of these like sort of like synthesizing little audio moments. To kind of like get your ears primed
0: so Katie thinking back on your time at resound was there one show that was I don't know maybe the most difficult to put together or one that you really really enjoyed producing
13: I remember one that I really enjoyed doing was the the centenarians show which oh, yeah where we interviewed uh, Nina Ellis about um, all these stories she had done about people who had turned a hundred. I think originally she said that she was looking to do these pieces, sort of like people looking back on their lives. Mm-hmm. But actually, all these people were living really full lives, like right then. it's um, some of some of them. like there were a couple that were more that were a little more sad, I think, but most of them were like really like hopeful. <laughs> Um, so we interviewed Nina and all of that interview is sort of throughout the show and those shows were, could also be a good bit of work. Um, but really fun because I think that's something that we were always able to bring that was different, which was like, you know, hearing, hearing a documentary and also hearing from the person who made it sometimes. Let's have a
0: listen to an interview from the show that Katie just mentioned, Resound number 143, The Centenarian Show. In this excerpt, producer Nina Ellis talks with Ruth Ellis, no relation, by the way, who found a life with a new community in her 10th decade.
12: Ruth Ellis has no family left, no partner, and she never had children. But she's not lonely, and the years that we are most afraid of have been her happiest. If I tell you right away how that happened, you might not appreciate the struggles of her first 80 years. Ruth Charlotte Ellis was born and raised in Springfield, Illinois, where her father was the first African-American mail carrier. Her family was loving, but at school she was lonely. I didn't have any friends. Why, why didn't you have friends? Mm-hmm,
8: mm-hmm. I guess there weren't very many colored in that school. And I had classes where I'd be the only colored there, And I think I was bashful or something. And the teacher called on me for something I'd tell her I didn't know. But I knew the answer, but I didn't want to get up before the class. One teacher slapped me because I was so stupid. <laughs> oh, Lady Powers. I told my daddy. So he came over to school and bawled her out. I didn't have too much of a childhood. My gym teacher, she's the only one paid any particular attention to me. She took interest in me.
12: In high school, she had a secret crush on her gym teacher. And gradually, Ruth began to realize this about herself. She was gay. She never tried to hide it, but she didn't talk with anyone about it either. Ruth graduated from high school, worked a number of jobs in Springfield, and then in the late 30s moved to Detroit for better pay. She learned about the larger gay world, and eventually found a partner, a woman named Babe. They bought a house together, and Ruth owned a small printing business. They didn't have much money, but they opened their home to young black gay men and lesbians who were not allowed in the white single-sex bars of Detroit.
8: They'd come to our house for just enjoyment. They'd bring a bottle, and they'd play cards, and we'd dance and play the piano. There'd be Some of them would be good piano players. Just had a place to enjoy themselves. One fella come from the South. He didn't have any place to come. He stayed at our house. Different ones would come and stay at our house till they
12: find something to do, then they're gone. After 35 years together, Ruth and Babe drifted apart, and so at age 65, Ruth got an apartment in subsidized senior housing in downtown Detroit, and even though she had no family members living and no pension, her best years began. She joined senior citizens clubs and enjoyed bowling, pool, dancing, and for the first time in her life, traveling. And then at age 79, She took a self-defense course from a young woman she had a feeling was gay
8: yeah i was curious (laughs) i'd never seen a white lesbian so i wrote a little note if i could get better acquainted with her so she came over to see me
12: and when the woman introduced ruth to her circle of friends everything changed she was embraced by a community hungry for a role model Ruth doesn't like to say she's experienced discrimination in her life, though she will say being black is harder than being gay. It's clear that much has been denied to her. A good education, high-paying jobs, and the freedom to socialize as she pleased. Ruth chose not to hide her homosexuality, though, and today the women who surround her take hope and strength from that. Sarah Yuli is one of these women, Ruth took me to visit Sarah, who says she deeply loves Ruth, has found her true grandmother, and wants to make her happy however she can.
11: I think at first, for, you know, five or ten years, the main thing I did was make sure that Ruth could get to an event if she wanted to go, if she wanted to go to the National Women's Music Festival or just to a coffee house. We'd make sure somebody would pick her up and that she'd get to go. And we also work on trying to take care of Ruth's dreams. Like about, I don't know, 10 years ago, somebody said there was a conference in California for black, gay, and lesbians, and Ruth said, well, I think I'd like to go to that. So we raised money, and she and a companion went to that conference. Then a couple years later, she said, you know, I'd like to have a massage, or I'd like to go to Provincetown. This and is that's like
12: where I went. This is like Ruth Ellis's Make a Wish Foundation. Exactly. <laughs>
11: exactly. And the circle of friends is so large now that there is almost nothing that she could think of that couldn't be made to happen.
12: Why did this happen to you, Ruth?
8: I don't know. Just out of the
12: sky. And now there's a documentary film called Living with Pride, Ruth Ellis at 100. So far, it's been shown at gatherings in more than 80 cities in the U.S. and overseas. And as a result, Ruth is alone only when she wants to be. She gets phone calls and visitors and invitations to appear before groups. I went with Ruth to one of these events at Michigan State University, where a classroom full of mostly 20-year-old students watched the film. Afterward, when Ruth was before them ready for questions, there was silence. Later, many of them admitted they were afraid of older people, and none of them, it turns out, had talked with anyone aside from their grandparents, over 60 years old. They stared at Ruth, a messenger from another century.
8: Now don't be bashful. I'm just an ordinary person.
4: I would like to know, um, I think most of us in here are social workers, and I wondered what you would like us to know Um, from your experience with social
8: workers, what would you like us to know? I would like for the young people to take more interest in some old person. There's a lot of old people that have lost their families. They don't have anyone. And I think if the young people would just pick out one person that they could go visit, take them to a show or to lunch, or something like that. I think they'd appreciate that very much. I had a friend that lived to be a hundred. Then she decided that she was tired and she just stopped eating till she passed. So I don't want to get that tired.
12: (laughs) I, I want to live as long as I can. Ruth Ellis has gone from being a shy little girl with no friends to a wise elder, an inspiration. It took nearly a 100 years, though, and on some days she says she is tired of living. But at this moment, as all these young faces smile at her, Ruth is radiant. She practically inhales their energy, and it makes her just a little bit bold.
9: What do you think about sex education
13: in schools?
12: (laughs) You got me there,
8: honey, you got me there. One thing, I think we uh, deal with sex too early in life. You have plenty of time to have sex. Up to 95, anyway. I can tell you that.
12: <laughs> Ruth is still traveling and looking forward to her 101st birthday.
0: That was an interview with Ruth Ellis featured on Resound number 143, The Centenarian Show. One of former producer Katie Mingles' favorite episodes that she produced. Today we're looking back and celebrating because today is our 250th episode of Resound. Now, Katie left in 2014, and that brings us up to the present with one of my favorite producers.
3: Oh, don't flash me.
0: <laughs> Dennis <laughs> Funk. <laughs> And now I have to turn the tables and ask you
3: what your favorite show was. So I think my favorite episode that I worked on is um, 204, the Stories from Childhood show. Um, The Open I really like because it took an entire week just to make that. But the other thing that I really like in that show that I did is I got a bunch of people who worked at WBEZ, um, where Third Coast is based, to record themselves reading bedtime stories to their kids. And then I interviewed them about it in the studio and just made like these little like snippet snippet stories of those moments and like that as a ritual. Are we gonna hear it? Yeah, let's just play a little medley from that episode. If you hear well with your ears, then close your eyes
7: cake fast you
8: can. Could you make that
7: sound? Again. Come on buddy, let's go.
1: So every night before bedtime, my husband or I, one of us always reads to our son. We ask him, uh, okay, pick out your books. What is it?
3: spell ants.
1: And then there's this negotiation as to how many books we get to read that night. Scooby, okay. Scooby, which one first? Scooby. Scooby. Scooby-Doo. Sometimes he will have us read the same book every night.
7: That's Daffy. Let's find out. You
1: know, like, we always come back to the space and we always read books. And this same bedtime routine is part of, like, his world being in order. So he finds a lot of comfort in that. The mystery machine
9: bumped along a dark, empty road. Scooby-Doo and his friends bumped along, too.
3: Let me turn the tables a little bit and ask you, what has been your favorite piece or favorite show or favorite moment from Resound over the last 250 episodes?
0: That is an unfair question, first of all, because it would be like picking a child that you love the most, you, you just can't do
3: it. You know, Gwen, one thing I do realize about Resound is that over the years, so much of your life has made its way into into some of the episodes. Uh-oh, I'm not sure that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> I want to play a moment from a few years ago. Um, we were making an episode called The Driving Show. Oh, um, right. And at the same time, it just so happened that your daughter, uh, who's your eldest child, was going away to university, and you were doing a drive from... Chicago sh- to Boston yeah, sh- in 18 hours straight. Exactly. And at the same time this show would be playing. So we thought it would be kind of perfect to just stick a moment in the show that reflected on that coincidence.
0: At the very moment that you will be hearing this program, I myself am on the road, dropping my oldest child off at college. We made it out there in a marathon 18-hour, one-day drive her plugged in, listening to comfort music, and me staring down a lot of flat roads that slowly become, both literally and figuratively, mountainous. And now, it's just me coming back, 18 more hours, and nothing in the rear view but an empty car. I love long drives, though this is not one I relish. They give you lots of time to think, transition, give your mind its leash. On this trip home, the car is a lot quieter, and I'm in no rush, not my usual 80 miles per hour. Because despite heading home to the exact same address, I know it's going to be a very different place. 18 hours to go, and that's fine by me. Yeah, who would have thought that the show would become just a little bit... Biographical. I mean, I know that I wrote about my family on occasion because, of course, there's so much material there. And um, I'm trying to think. I remember I wrote about some childhood memories. A and yes, I've written about various people and things that have crossed my path. Um, and let's not forget about my friend, the felon. Dan Grote, the bank robber, who we featured at the live show. Yeah, Let's play a little bit from that, that
2: live show.
10: You have a
11: global tell link. Collect call from
2: Dan
10: Grote.
0: An inmate at a federal prison. To accept this call, press 5 now. Hello? Hello. Dan! Uh, how are you?
10: I am peachy how about yourself
0: i'm good i'm good okay i'm gonna get right into it what would you like to say to our live audience that now knows a lot about you
6: hello
10: i hope everybody's having a good time i believe the hideout is one of the few bars in chicago that i never got kicked out of
0: this call is from a federal prison i have to apologize i know you haven't seen the script yet but yes. there there is it's a very long script but there is one joke at your expense for which I feel the need to apologize.
10: Well, I mean I've had, you know, almost 40 years of jokes at my expense, so <laughs> I would rather it come from you. What
0: well, is it? You haven't heard it. you haven't heard it yet. <laughs> what is it? Well, I might have compared you to Uncle Fester. <laughs>
10: I've already told you in letters that I got saddled with the with the prison nickname of Magoo. So
0: No, you Go did f- not tell me that.
10: Yeah, that's what everybody's been calling me ever since I went out to Seattle. That's what everybody calls me. <laughs> in here. You're Magoo. I, I, no, no. And I don't even wear fucking glasses, so I really don't get it,
0: but uh,
10: uh, <laughs> All right. Uh it just beeped, so we're probably going to get cut off.
0: Wait, anything else you want to say?
10: Um yeah, I, guess, I mean, I guess if you have low expectations and low standards, I'm still single. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, something might work out for you. We'll see. Hello? Ah. Oh.
7: <laughs>
0: that was an excerpt from Resound number 218, The Odd Couple show that we recorded and performed live at the Hideout
3: in Chicago in 2016. All right, that's it for our 250th episode of ReSound.
0: Well, we couldn't do it without our listeners, and I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for supporting us all these years. Also, to the producers, I have been so, so, so lucky to work with such incredibly talented people. I seriously cannot thank you guys enough.
3: And I want to thank a couple of the people who've also worked behind the scenes, curating the show. Johanna Zorn, Julie Shapiro, Sarah Geis, Maya Goldberg-Safer.
0: Yeah. And uh, before we go, just one last thing. I'm going to ask you guys to save a date on Monday, April 16th. Third Coast is having a fundraising event. It's going to be a lot of fun, and we'll give you more information in the next few weeks. Monday, April 16th, Third Coast fundraising
3: event. Well, here's to 250. More shows. I'll drink to that.
0: You've been listening to ReSound from the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago. For about the 250th time, I'm Gwen Maxi. The program has been produced by Katie Adun, Roman Mars, Delaney Hall, Katie Mingle, and Dennis Funk, with production assistance from Isabel Vesquez and loads of former interns. You can hear today's program at thirdcoastfestival.org, where you can also hear more than 2,000 outstanding documentaries from around the world, and subscribe to our podcast. Support for ReSound comes from Emma. A web based email marketing and communication service helping businesses and nonprofits manage their email campaigns and online surveys in style. More at myemma.com. The Third Coast International Audio Festival is a nonprofit arts organization made possible with lead funding from the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation and the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. Additional support is provided by the Agadino Foundation, the Menaki Foundation, and the National Endowment for the Arts. The Third Coast Festival, now an independent arts organization, was originally founded at WBEZ Chicago. Want to stay up to date on the latest Third Coast happenings? Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, or subscribe to our newsletter at thirdcoastfestival.org. With so much to listen to and so little time, ReSound. All diamonds, no rough.